At this point, things are leaking out rather than going in. That's a question. Uh, no, it's not a question. It's a rhetorical question. Of course it is leaking out. Uh, so the rabble rousers are especially important for this last time together. If things get a little bit slow, just make a ruckus in some way. And um, <laughs> Thank you, thank you. I, I, I know Paul Tripp is not one of a kind. There have to be other like him. So. Let's gather together in your mind um, a series of complex problems. We're talking about mental health, so they're, they're endless complex problems, but, but within mental health, the list might be a little bit shorter. Certainly, we could think of addictions, all kinds of addictions, and they, there are endless variety to them. We could think of eating problems, anorexia, bulimia, we could think about cutting and its variations. We could think of people whose mind gets stuck in obsessive thoughts that are sometimes expressed in compulsive behaviors. We could think about the, the, um, the disability of, of bipolar and the ups and downs for no particular reason. You think about schizophrenia, hallucinations. Think about panic attacks and variations of extreme anxieties. Think about dissociation and what used to be called multiple personality. Think about something more common. You could think about something like attention deficit disorder. Let's just sort of cluster all those together. We're not going to speak about them individually, but, but let's see if we can we can group together some, some guidelines that, that direct us on a path that would be helpful for, for them all. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to assume that, that, let's do it this way. If somebody comes to you as a counselor, it is a very strange thing. In my church, very few people come to me and say, I need your help. That's just not what you do in most relationships. But, but as a counselor, people do. In a church, what happens is I have to go to you rather than you come to me and initiate relationships and have relationships unfold gradually. So let's, this big cluster of, of complex struggles, in, instead of them coming to you and asking for help, let's... Let's have it unfold in, more, in a more ordinary environment of personal relationships and small groups and saying hello to a person after church. We can start with the early part of Ephesians 4. Dale has mentioned this before. The, where this goes is, is that, that we who have the Spirit are the ministers of the church. And... And the many people God has gifted to equip us are, are, uh, are among the many gifts that we have received. But we do the work of ministry. Ephesians 4 begins by, by identifying how this ministry is done. As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you received. And, and he begins with humility. And, and we... It's not, it's not simply a random 
group of, uh, of, of character qualities. Humility. And humility and neediness first before the Lord. And then a, as a prisoner of the Lord. And then a, a walking with and even, even below others. Humility, gentleness, patience, accepting one another in love as we diligently keep the unity of the Spirit. So that's, that's our guide, and let's put a few other details on what that looks like. You begin by pursuing others. That's the nature of the body of Christ. The body of Christ goes this way. Babel goes this way. You, you move away from others. The nature of the body of Christ is it moves toward. We pursue. It's just the way of the kingdom. The, your reluctance to pursue those who, who might have complex problems. Well, frankly, you don't know if they have complex problems at this point. You, you just don't know them very well. And so you, you pursue them. And pursuit can go in different ways. You introduce yourself. And sometimes there's a rich conversation Sometimes it just falls dead. You introduce yourself, and they barely introduce themselves back. And you're just sort of sitting there staring at each other and finally say, it's nice to meet you. And, and then perhaps following week or two weeks later, you happen to see the person. Hey, it's good to see you again. And, and hey, how are you? I've seen you a few weeks here. What brings you here? Well, you know, just... Maybe you have some other things to do and to say, and it, it, perhaps it falls dead, perhaps it moves a little bit further. But, but eventually, as you pursue most people, a conversation begins to unfold. You begin to know someone. And, and perhaps they will offer some of the things that are hard, precious in their own lives. As they do, <clears throat> what you are thinking in your pursuit is that most of us are rarely looking for answers. Now here's a conference where we were speaking about how scripture offers all kinds of answers to our struggles. But in everyday relationships, people aren't looking for answers for the most part. In fact, if you are looking to give answers to somebody who's not asking for answers, that's, that's what you don't do in ministry. We all know that. So you pursue and you don't have to have the answers. Look at your own life. How have you been blessed by others? I was blessed, I was blessed today by, by people sharing something of their own story, how, how Christ had met them in the midst of great difficulties. If you ask my daughters, I suspect when, if, when I die, my daughters speak at my funeral if such a thing will happen. They, I've taught them and given them all kinds of answers over the years, and this is not to demean answers. But I know one daughter will tell you this story. It just happened a couple days ago. That, that we were together as a family. My mother-in-law was, was making probably her last trip out to where we live and spending time with, with us and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And, and my, one of my grandson twins and one of my granddaughters were sitting on my lap. That wasn't quite what they'll say. And... And so they, they started feeling my face. And 
because they, they like to accuse me of being scratchy, which, which of course I am. And then the, the little girl wandered off just a little bit, and the little boy kept going with the scratchy theme, which is, not, which is code for tickle me, tickle me. And so, so I laid him down on my lap and just tickled him a bit. And, and he loved it, and of course I loved it. And then I stopped because you know, I, I want to be careful. I don't want to tickle them past whatever the boundaries might be. And so apparently I stopped too early, and he wanted more. So, so I tickled him more, and, and uh, all of a sudden I felt this warmth all over my lap. <laughs> and, and I didn't know that he lost control of his bladder when he laughed a lot. My daughter will, will tell the question, will, will say to you, let me tell you about my dad. He, he told me a lot of things from scripture, but, but here's the best thing. He loved what I loved, like my kids. <laughs> he really loved my kids. He loved to see them laugh. And when they peed all over him, he was just thrilled to death. <laughs> That's, isn't it true that when you think of how you have been blessed by others, it's, yeah, it's teachings and sermons indeed. These things accumulate and build us up. But it is, the, it is the strangest sort of expressions of love, the inadvertent expressions of love, that tend to be most helpful. So, so you pursue. How are you doing in such things? Pursuing those in your small group? Are you, are you alert when you come here? Are you, are you a member of the body of Christ who is needed in the body of Christ? Are you pursuing? Well, that's what you do with complex problems. And as you encounter those complex problems, answers are probably not the most important thing. I'm just going to give you a list here, and the list can go all kinds of different ways. But the list is going to be fairly ordinary, but important ways that we care for each other. Consider this list and feel free to add to it. Number two, not in any particular order. Have less confidence in yourself. Great confidence in the God who speaks, but have less confidence in yourself. You don't have to be a teacher. In fact, in scripture, a teacher, if you can avoid being a teacher, you would prefer to avoid being a teacher because the more you speak, the more you're going to get in trouble, the more, you, the more you're going to sin. So, so you'd rather not be a teacher. Who, who are you? You're a friend a pastor, a pastor, little p. I remember reading the definition of pastor one time that it was, it was such a wonderful rebuke. A pastor is someone who is interested in the soul of others for the long distance, for the long distance. You're not a consultant dispensing answers that nobody gives. If you're a consultant, I don't mean that. I, that's, but that's what I've experienced with consultants in some situations. They give great answers, nobody does them, and off they go to, to another place. Um, you're not a consultant. You, you're a pastor who has long, longevity. You walk with somebody. You don't have confidence in, in your consultation abilities and your great insights. Here's something that will give you less confidence. You are not among the best and brightest. I'm just paraphrasing Paul here. <laughs> that that the, 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 the ones he chose to bring to himself are not the ones who were perceived as great in the world. And his strategy there is, 
is if the kingdom goes forward on the, on, on, on the backs of wonderfully great gifted people, it brings glory to people. And, and God wants his own name exalted. So you have less confidence in yourself. You, you learn that, that to say, I don't know, is not challenging the sufficiency of scripture. It is profoundly theological. It is, it is growing to become more and more like a child. There are many mysteries that we don't understand. You have less confidence in yourself in the midst of complex problems. And you have more confidence in, in the God who speaks. You have more confidence in the cross of Christ. You have more confidence that, that the one who has spoken has given us truly everything we need for life and godliness according to our knowledge of him. You are certain of that. You're absolutely certain. You don't have access to all those things, but, but you'll find it in the body of Christ. You are certain that both you and the person you're speaking to, they have everything they need for the very depths of their soul, for the best things in life. You have confidence in that. You have confidence that, that all of history turns on the person of Christ. And, and now the... The letter that kills no longer holds sway, but it's the spirit of life who does. And you know that there is life. You know it. You, you don't know how you're going to get there and see it more clearly, but you are confident of that because we have a resurrected God. You have less confidence in yourself. Great confidence. In, in the things that are clear in Scripture. The third thing, as a general rule, you're going to look for the good in another person first. Doesn't mean you don't, you don't know we're sinners. I, I live with a wife. I know she's a sinner. I know she is. But if you ask me to tell, if you ask me to tell you my wife's sins, I would have to scratch my head for a while. It's because that's not the way I think of her. If you ask me, tell me all the good things about your wife, well, I, I, I have a long list. This is, this is the way the Apostle Paul begins most of his letters, identifying the good that he sees in others. Perhaps we could put it in, in this way. Are you learning to like the person you're speaking with, with the complex problems? Are you seeing the good in them, the... The, the humanity in them, which, what is humanity? It's the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, self-control, humility, and on and on. Are you seeing the good in another in such a way that, that they know you've seen the good? That's, that's one of your pleasures. It's one of the privileges of knowing somebody face to face. Instead of merely being a public teacher, you get to see the good and savor as you see it. Overall, as a general rule, you, you see the good. That's your specialty. After that, you're looking for those things that are hard in a person's life. 
We all have trouble. And, and you would like to bear that in some way with a person who has complex problems. That doesn't know you understand what all the problems are like, but, but you want to know something about the heart. Third, you can, you can speak about sin. But, but in your normal, everyday conversations, do you exhort people very often? Do you speak about people's sin very often? If you do, you don't have any friends. <laughs> um, it's, it's not what we do in everyday conversations. I'm happy for my wife to talk about my sins. Once every two and a half to three weeks. And more than that, it just seems like she's always, she's, that's all she's seen. I'm just exaggerating. Well, I'm not exaggerating, actually. <laughs> so we might do something like this. We, we know that, that sin continues to be our deepest problem. That doesn't mean we're most, that we're most aware of that particular problem, but we know it is our deepest problem. That's the problem that has some kind of eternal implications. So might you consider this with the person who is becoming a friend, whose problems are in, seem infinitely complex. Let's do this. Let's together go through the Lord's Prayer and, and take it piece by piece. Let's pray to our Father. What does it mean that he is in heaven? To, to pray the Lord's Prayer, to speak of the Lord's Prayer, and in the midst of the Lord's Prayer, you are going to be confessing sins. That doesn't mean that, that somehow you are a bigger sinner than others, but, but imagine in normal conversations that come, become a little bit closer, that seem a little bit complicated. Well, in the midst of things that are complicated, there's something that is clear. And here's one thing that's clear. It's a gospel for forgiveness of sins. And if we forget that sins are our deepest problem, the gospel becomes somewhat peripheral. We begin to see that we're a sort of nice people and, and, um, and uh, we don't see the, the beauty and the love and the sacrifice in the gospel itself. So imagine just moving through the Lord's Prayer together and, and spending some time together simply confessing sins to each other and to the Lord. Imagine that. I suspect your experience is like myself, that when things seem utterly overwhelming and complex, when in doubt, confess sins. That doesn't mean sin is the, is, is the reason for the, for the complexities in my life, but sin gives an opportunity to see a bit more clearly. And, and all of a sudden, the, the gospel, it, it, it's... It's on the marquee and the lights are, are flashing. It becomes more evident. And joy becomes, becomes more tangible as, as, a, as a result. So, those who have complex problems, you, you see the good. You see the painful. And then you go through the Lord's Prayer and have the privilege of being able to, to confess sins together to the Lord. Uh, number four, these are not in any particular order. Humility would suggest that you don't have to be the teacher, but you collaborate. You work together. Help me to 
understand more of what this is like. How can we pray? Given the things that you're saying, how can we pray? Are there, are there particular promises of God or passages of Scripture that we can lock into and, and pray? That's, the, that, that's the, the movement of help. You know the person. And then what does God say to the person? I'm okay. Uh, you know the person, and that simple question, let's pray, is, is what, now let's listen to the Lord. What does he say? And, and we will pray those very things that he, he identifies that we can pray to him. We collaborate. We, here's another way to collaborate. We, we collaborate because we know complex problems are an occasion for Satan's devices. And you know, the Apostle Paul sometimes, sometimes I wish when he talks about Satan's devices, he says we know them. Ah, we're not naive to Satan's devices. I would like him to have been a little bit more specific as to what they might be. But, but we do know some things. Where is their condemnation that is unending? Okay, what are we doing? We're collaborating. Okay, here's what we know. That, that there is an enemy who who has sworn himself against us as we, are, as, you, as we are united with Christ. He is going to, to lie about the gospel itself. He's going to lie about forgiveness of sins. He's going to lie about the character of God. He's, he's going to lie about us. Where are they? It's a, humility is an occasion to collaborate. In other words, you don't have to be smart. You don't have to figure it out yourself. You do it together. And... If you can't identify some of Satan's devices, you, you pray. You go through Ephesians chapter 6 together. You, you ask for help. You ask for others to pray with you. Now, this, the, the list we're accumulating here is such an ordinary list. And if it wasn't, we would be wrong. We, we believe that, that help can be, beautiful help can be carried out in ordinary love. And again, as you look at your own story, in the turning points in your own story, it was most likely something just, some, some normal expression of everyday love that the Spirit used to capture your attention. So you collaborate. You start looking for those condemning voices together. You begin to read Scripture together as a way to be a little bit more alert to the truth so you can be discerning of, of lies. Number five, you, you remember the, the endless possibilities of differences at the level of the brain, at the level of strengths and weaknesses. A brain that don't forget, when a brain is different than your own, your tendency is going to be to judge it as somehow less than right. To, to know someone who, who struggles with obsessive thoughts, where, what do you want to say? Stop it. Just stop it. I, I, I stop it, and so you should be able to stop it as well. But, but to recognize that, that this is not some intentional sin. This is this is something that is a weakness that, 
this person struggles with. And you try to understand the differences until compassion is aroused. When compassion is aroused, patience also will be aroused, which is part of our calling according to Ephesians chapter 4. A person I speak to at CCF who I know will always be late for his appointment. He, not that everybody who fits within this heading of ADD would be late, but he is among those who are. He, his mind is struck, his mind, it's hard for him to prioritize. And everything becomes equally important. And, and before he's, he, he's, he's ready to go, all of a sudden he sees something on the internet. And, he, and, and now that becomes as important as everything else and he begins to track it down. What do I do? I, I, I think at one point I was frustrated. Now I find it a little bit sad because I recognize that if he's late for me, it's going to affect his other relationships because he's not going to be reliable in other relationships. Sometimes I find the good in, in his lateness. <laughs> that, that there are other things he finds important and he's, he's scrupulous and is careful to pursue them. So you consider that somebody is different than yourself and you try to understand their particular strengths and, and weaknesses. As you keep walking along with him, you will find that, and we alluded to this before, that, that complex problems, they will still be complex and oftentimes inscrutable. And, and if they're complex, there's nobody who truly understands them. But what you will find is this, that the ordinary features of human life become more evident. That that's when we, we are in this together, will become clear in your relationship with this person. Let me give you a, a short list of, of what you will find in every single human heart. And you will find it within complex problems. That doesn't mean these are the cause of the complex problems, but they're contributors. And as you speak to them together, you collaborate on them, their hope is aroused and, and growth becomes more obvious. Let me give you six very briefly. And my goal, obviously, is not, to, is not to spend much time on each one of these six. My goal is simply to say, as you're probably aware, the more you know someone, the more, the more they're just like you, and you're just like them. The more things you share rather than don't share. Uh, let, me, let me use this example. Uh, here's a complex problem. Dissociative identity disorder, multiple personality. A, a woman whose, whose, whose life was, was just one unbelievable story after another, but they were all, they were all true. Uh, one day she came into my office, and, and her husband was with her, and we had, to, we had to move all the chairs off to the side. And she had these big pieces of cardboardish things. What's that called? Poster board. Yeah, poster board. She had this, all these poster boards, and, and, and she had a portfolio of them. And, and so she, just, and she started putting them on, on my floor. And, and it ended up being, I don't know, sort of a, a, 10 by, a 10 by 6 rectangle. 
And what she was doing was she was giving us a map of her life. She was giving us a map of who she was, what life felt like for her. She felt as if she was populated by all kinds of different personalities. But when you look at the personalities, you, you find guilt. You find shame. You, you find fear everywhere. You find anger. You, know, you find love and all kinds of other things as well. My point is that as you began to see how she, how, what life was like for her, Almost all the dimensions that she identified were very familiar to you. A woman with very complex problems. You get to know her. You hear more of her life. And, and you found out that she had an abortion when she was becoming a Christian. When I say becoming a Christian, she, she knew that she was coming to Christ. Uh, yet she wasn't, she wasn't really absorbed into a local church. And so her people were still people who didn't follow Jesus. And, and so she ended up being pregnant. She ended up being pregnant. She became pregnant. And, 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 and the advice was that she, of course, should get an abortion. Her conscience said no, but all the advice said yes. And, and, and so she did. And she regretted it. This was, this was 20 years before. And she regretted it every day after that. And, and there was a suicidal feature to her. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm taking one person here, a very complex situation, where help, you don't understand, but as, the more you get to know the person, you will find something quite recognizable. And, and uh, you hear about a woman who has tried to take her life multiple times. And, and what is it? It's, I'm bad, I'm bad. I, I, am, I am bad, I have committed murder. What is, what is justice for somebody who has committed murder? I should die. That's, what's ju- that's what justice is. So every suicide attempt was some way of trying to, to pay God back. Now one of the features of guilt all kinds of different features. One is a kind of legalistic guilt. Let me explain how that works. So here's a, here's, here's a woman who, there's all these complex problems. Here's something that is important and certainly common to us all. And so you speak about forgiveness of sins. And it's irrelevant to her. And you speak about it again. You speak about it again. You read different passages and they're all irrelevant to her. And, and then you begin to consider that, tell me you who want to live under the law, Remember that, that's what Paul says in Galatians. <laughs> Tell me, you who live under the law, there's something about grace that is a little bit challenging to us. It speaks of our own inability. And, and who isn't embarrassed when somebody gives you a great gift and you don't have something you can quickly re-gift and give it back to them? Um, we, we prefer our, our relationships a little more symmetrical than that. <laughs> And the instincts of the human heart are to earn grace in some way. That is every single world religion other than revelation that God has given us. You have to appease the gods. And here was a woman who, who was saying, God, I'm really sorry. And this is the way she would demonstrate it. 
And, and if she could demonstrate it enough, perhaps he would see fit to forgive her. What might you say to her? Here's, what you, here's one of the things you might say. You need to repent. You need to repent. You don't need to repent of your abortion. You've done that, and you've actually done it probably thousands of times. What you need to repent of is the very thought that you can do something. You have some capital in yourself to pay back for your own sins. The Apostle Paul, as far as I can tell, gets very angry at such things. He starts using some names that we probably wouldn't typically use. Because it diminishes the love and the unilateral nature of the gospel of grace. What am I saying? I'm saying that you get to know people. They're just like you. And they struggle with guilt and condemnation. And all of a sudden, Galatians becomes alive. Where even though we, we know that, 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 that grace comes before the law, we somehow switch them around and think that the law comes first and we can somehow earn God's grace. Do you know scripture that speaks to your own soul about forgiveness of sins? Do you know scripture that speaks to your own soul about shame? What am I, what am I doing? I'm simply identifying some of these universal features of the human heart. There are there is, in most every human heart, if we dig around, there is a keen sense that you do not belong. That, that somehow everybody else belongs, but, but, but you do not. Well, there's something you're familiar with. You, you don't know if shame is, is causative in these complex problems, but you do know that something has just jumped out of the person's life and, and, and the mind of God uh, embraces such things and the Lord speaks. What are some of your favorite passages as you think about shame? I was thinking about one today in, in 1 Peter, in, in 1 Peter 2. It says something, it's just, it just says it in passing. It says you are living stones. That's who you are. You're building this house, but it's not just any house. The house that you're building is the holy of holies in earth. The house that you're building is the very house of God, which, was, which you were quarantined from before, but now you have been made holy in Christ, and now you contribute to his very edifice, his very presence on earth. You who were far away, you have now been brought near. Guilt, shame. Anger, fear, all different versions of misery. These are, as you walk with someone with complex problems, these are what you will hear. And your delight is to, is to, certain, to seek scripture on, on all of them. And, and we could add a few other things. You hear their story... You allow scripture to keep telling the story better. The Apostle Paul, he tells his story in Philippians chapter 3. That's the longer version. Here's my resume. Good resume, huh? Well, I, I jettison this resume. That's one way of telling the story. Another way he tells the story is I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. All kinds of different ways of, 
telling our bios. What do we do? We, we tell our stories and our stories, we want our stories to be, to be more and more taken over by ultimately the story of Jesus, which, because it's his story that we have been brought into. So you have those kinds of conversations. You ask questions of each other, and how is it that Jesus has taken over our story? If he hasn't, then, then we pray that, that we will learn from the Apostle Paul. And then things like you, you remember the person. You remember. I was, I was uh, teaching a class, and... And my grandfather, that, my, my grandfather, my grandson, that particular day was in the hospital. And, and I knew I couldn't go more than a minute or two without stopping and saying, I'm so sorry, I, I'm preoccupied this evening. Uh, let, me, let me pray. My grandson's in the hospital, and I, I, I want to be here with you rather than, rather than in the hospital and mentally with him. And so, so I prayed, and the class went on. And around, around four months later... I saw somebody in the class. The first thing he said was, how is Jackie? How is Jackie? And I remember that story. It happened years ago. Because it's, it's a person who remembered. You ever been remembered by somebody? Anybody even say, I've been thinking about you? Uh, you ever get a text like that? Anybody remember an anniversary of of a difficult thing in your life. Have you ever been remembered by another? It's one of those ordinary things that, that, that the Lord uses to, to very clearly say, join us. You are among us. You, we together belong to Jesus, your family. To remember. You could probably put more things than this. What are we doing? We're... This is not an exhaustive list, but, but hopefully what the list does is it, is it gives us a certain kind of confidence that, that we don't have to know why somebody has complex problems. That, that in the ordinary ways of showing love to one another, somehow the Lord is pleased for his people to grow and his kingdom to prosper. Isn't that great? What, what kind of system is this? Who, who could have invented such a thing? This is of no human origin. If you're going to invent a system, it's going to be the best and brightest that, uh, that you go to for answers. They put up a little booth and you get answers. Who's going to, who's going to make up a system where the riffraff, just through ordinary ways of love, are are used in extraordinary ways in other people's lives. Who are we? Who are we that, that our eyes should be not just open to such things, but who are we that, that our God would come to us in that Matthew passage and call us his partners where we're yoked together with him and, and somehow partners, ambassadors, in his very kingdom, through ordinary expressions of love. Ah, how humbling, isn't it? Let me give thanks. Yeah, how humbling. It's all easy. 
We can do any one of these steps. But, um, but easy is... But these are spiritual matters. And it's not quite the same as knowing two plus two. To pursue another person. This is, it's not just being nice. It's, it's, your spirit must animate these things in our hearts. To, to see the good in another. To have compassion for the hard. To think we together. To be with another person, even under another person. Your spirit must do these things in our hearts. To be able to have ordinary times of praying, Lord, forgive us. And to delight in forgiveness of sins. We can all do these things, but it's your spirit that must animate us in these. So, Father, would you give us grace for one of these simple things? Would you, would you grant us the privilege? Here, with, with all these things that have been said, would there be one thing that sticks where we speak to brother or sister about them and, and we are changed? Would, would you be gracious to us to do that one thing in us in such a way that we contribute to our local bodies and the body of Christ is united more and more and strengthened? Thank you. Who are we that you would, you would call us to your purposes? We are, we are humbled and we are blessed in the name of Christ. Amen.